This podcast uses adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for downloading this first episode of the Lesson 83 podcast. I'm Kevin. Both me and my co-host Elizabeth have been polyamorous for over a decade. We've also helped found communities for ethically non-monogamous people. We're hoping this episode helps you understand yourself or ethical non-monogamy better. Enjoy. This is Kevin. And I'm Elizabeth. And this is the Lesson 83 podcast. Hey, Elizabeth, uh, thank you for joining me for what might be our first episode of this podcast. Happy to be here, Kevin. All right. So today we wanted to talk about uh, how to have a polyamorous relationship. And let's like zoom out a little bit at first and talk about polyamory. Mm -hmm. So polyamory is a form of ethical non-monogamy. Do you feel like you have a good understanding of ethical non-monogamy to kind of give the big umbrella term first? Yes. So ethical non-monogamy just means that you have uh, the, the potential for or actively you have multiple consensual simultaneous relationships. Yeah. That's it. And polyamory falls under that umbrella by being a form of ethical non-monogamy where you're willing and able to have multiple loving relationships. Yes. So, you know, romantic relationships in different forms. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things that are really important to have in a poly relationship. Uh, what do you feel like is the most important? Communication. All right, so let's start with the communication then. Okay. Uh, I am a really big proponent of what's called nonviolent communication. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? So it's a form of empathetic communication focused on not being right, not being uh, uh, focusing less on blame and more on speaking to your own feelings and experiences and trying to express empathy towards your partners about what they're going through. And that, it, for me, has been the best tool. And we'll probably do an episode sometime in the future to talk more in depth about uh, nonviolent communication. But I wanted to put that out there as something that you can look up on your own to use, to put as a tool in your toolbox. You know, there, there are lots of things that you might need if you want to be polyamorous, or if you want to try to understand polyamory. Or even in my experience, I think uh, nonviolent communication and having good communication as partners is really vital to any relationship, even if, even if you don't want to be poly. I completely agree. I think that any healthy relationship is founded on consistent, honest, compassionate communication. Yeah. Um, is there are there any other communication tools outside of nonviolent communication that you feel like are really really important? Um, well, I personally have a tradition of sitting down with my partners once a month and having kind of a relationship check-in. So I would just say that's one of the tools in my toolbox. I find that it helps us really make sure that we're on the same page, make sure that we understand our relationship boundaries, our relationship expectations as being the same. And if there are differentiations between our perceptions of how the relationship is or should be, then those can be addressed during that time. I personally like to have these relationship check-ins in a neutral zone. So we usually go to like a really chill restaurant. We like to go to this little hoop 
hookah bar with Mediterranean food. That's our tradition. And there we can feel like we can really relax and it's not our house. So we don't feel like trapped or pressured to be in a certain way. I don't know. It makes more sense for me, but everybody does it differently. And another thing that I like to have is a kind of a Google doc about our relationship agreements. And for us, that mostly comes down to like sexual safety, but it can also apply to lots of other things, you know, as, as far as like how often you have dates, how much time you want to spend together in your free time, things like that, whether you live together or not, all these are things that are different in different relationships. It's really funny that you say that because I'm very different than you Yeah, in, in that way. In that I really like having my relationship check-ins in my own space Mm -hmm. or my relationships in general, not have any sort of uh, written document outside of our like uh, sexual safety rules that we have like in writing just because it became an issue in, in the recent past that people didn't fully understand what I felt like was clearly communicated. And so like we all agreed on a specific rule or a set of rules and put that down into writing. But outside of that, I had never had any sort of relationship document. I know for you, that's something that's been very, very important, a key aspect of a lot of your relationships. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that we like to have written documents in my relationships is partially because there are a lot of DS relationships that I engage in. So dominant submissive power exchange. And so I personally find that when you combine open relationships and DS, I think that having a written document that, you know, is a living document, but it's a written document can help me understand exactly where I stand and what the boundaries and rules might be. So this really draws a great point that no two relationships are ever going to be the same, even among people who have been doing this for a long time. A lot of polyamorous relationships are going to be different. And that's okay. Like, if you really look at monogamous relationships, typically they are never, you know, two in the same. But I think the public image of monogamous relationships tends to have a very monolithic and uniform display where there's a lot of variety in all relationships. That's and true. something to be, you know, cognizant of is that we're not, our experiences aren't always going to match what you want to do or is what is going to be best for you. But we're here to help provide things for you to be able to talk about, things for you to be able to understand that maybe you hadn't considered before or just ideas of how it might go or how you might want to have your relationship. And maybe this is a good time for us to talk about ourselves a little bit. I identify as a straight male. How do you identify? Um... I know, right? (laughs) Such an easy question. I personally identify kind of outside the gender binary, actually. I don't really ascribe to the gender binary. I feel like it's mostly a societal construct. So personally, I identify as a non-binary femme, and my orientation is definitely pansexual. Gender is pretty much irrelevant when it comes to who I'm attracted to. Awesome. Yeah. Almost polar opposites on a lot of different (laughs) axes. None of these things are yes or no questions. A lot of them are spectrums. And so you and I lay on the different ends of several spectrums, which I find very interesting in our friendship over the years. Me too. (laughs) So as a straight guy, I can talk to my experiences. It's been traditionally difficult. It ends up being a numbers game where you have to play this fine line of trying to come up with thoughtful messages to individuals. And you have to find a way to do that 
in a way that doesn't take up too much of your time because you're going to get very few responses. Mm -hmm. You're going to get very few responses because you're a man, and you're going to get fewer responses because you're because you're not monogamous. Mm. Luckily for me, I have found it really easy to find partners in and among the people in the community, and I am in certain circumstances, a charismatic person. And (laughs) I have managed to convince several people who identified as monogamous that they wanted to take a chance and see what polyamory was all about. Mm -hmm. And dating people who are new is probably a podcast we could do in and of itself because that comes with its own challenges. You know, what are your experiences like dating either online or otherwise? Um, As someone who was assigned female at birth and who is perceived as a woman in society is kind of a constant barrage of attention, mostly from men, online and in person. I can't imagine why you would want to be filtered from that. Right? (laughs) And so it's a lot because I'm not compatible with most of those people because most of them are monogamous or most of them are, I don't know, like just, we're just not compatible. Strictly expect you to maybe identify as a woman. Right. Because it threatens their their own orientation in some way. There are a lot of reasons that it's kind of overwhelming. But uh, yeah, dating is complicated. I currently do not have any dating profiles out there for various reasons. I kind of have my hands full already. And like you said, I feel like there are lots more opportunities to date successfully within the polyamorous community. And I also find that to be true within several other communities that I'm part of, like the pagan community, the queer community, the kink community. All four of those communities to me with the poly community are kind of my fishbowl. That's where I thrive. So that's where I meet most of my friends. That's where I meet most of my partners. I've effectively just kind of put a pause on my dating life or dating new people Mm -hmm. just because I'm busy doing a lot of things in my life. I, you know, have things that I I want to accomplish, like this podcast. Yeah. And and that eats up time, and time is a limited resource. Time is a limited resource. A lot of people in the poly community will say, it sounds like, it looks like you're about to jump in on that. I am. (laughs) I know, because it's something we say all the time that... Love is infinite. But time is not. That's right. That's hilarious that we're able to... (laughs) We're on the same page. Um, Maybe this is a good time to touch on the concept of polysaturation real quick. Okay. Um, Polysaturation is when you feel like you have reached your limit when it comes to the number of partners that you are simultaneously involved with. So let's say like the most partners I've ever had at once was five. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And so for me, I was very polysaturated. I was not looking for more dates. I was not looking for any casual anything. Like I had my hands full with my five relationships. Everybody is different when it comes to when they reach saturation. For monogamous people, it's usually one person. And for poly people, it could be anything. So Uh, It depends on your own personal levels of um, energy, your own mental health, your own physical health, your own, uh, like, where you live, like, what kind of community you have access to. Like, it it depends on a lot of factors. But, yeah, polysaturation is pretty much when you reach your limit. Is that pretty much how you would define it? Yeah, and you touched on a great point that I actually want to kind of circle back to a little bit. So what I wanted to touch on is that, you know, somebody who's not familiar with poly, if they hear, oh, I'm dating three people, which is how many people I'm dating, can give people a context. They, in their mind, might assume that all of those relationships would look like a regular monogamous relationship. And they mm-hmm. wonder how, my, how I have that much time. Right. And the reality is that 
you can have partners that you spend as much time as you might with a monogamous partner. But in my case, at least, you know, I see one of my partners once a week. I see another partner every other week. I see one of my partners, you know, every three weeks at this point. But it's a partner that I used to live with and used to see every day and spend four or five hours with every day. So what these relationships look like and the amount of time that you spend in these relationships can look very different depending on the relationship and what you want out of the relationship. That's definitely true. And not every poly relationship is a 24-7 live-in relationship, you know. Uh, I only live with one of my partners currently. Not every relationship is sexual. Not every relationship is local. So, you know, you have long-distance partners. You have relationships that are um, more emotional than they are sexual or physical. So, you know, definitely the energy and the time that you put into each relationship can be totally different. Yeah, I've always liked to at least describe those as being more nuanced relationships. Sure. When uh, some of your needs that you might want out of a relationship are being filled with one partner, it might mean that you don't need every single partner to be sexual with you if that's something that you really want out of a relationship and allow somebody who might be asexual to date someone who their sexuality is very important to them Yeah. without having to compromise one way or the other. So we touched briefly on poly communities, and I know it's something that you really wanted to talk about, of the importance of having a local poly community. Um, What what are things that you want to talk about? Well, I just think that if you are going to engage in a polyamorous relationship, especially in the beginning, I personally feel that it's important that you at least consider getting involved in your local poly community. Yeah, if you have one. If you have one. And like we were talking about earlier before we were recording, some people live in rural areas, some people live in other countries where they don't have a poly community immediately you know, accessible to them. But the internet is an amazing thing. And I'm part of several online poly communities that I learn a lot from and I engage with other poly people about you know, what we're going through. And, you know, those are the people that understand kind of what it's like to juggle multiple relationships or what it's like to have a breakup while you're dealing with NRE and things like that. I feel like the poly community can be a huge support and can be a huge resource for education. And um, you can come up against topics that you didn't even think about before. It can be a great way to learn and a great way to meet people. Definitely. And in my experience, I've found the poly community to be completely peerless, like the local community, and my ability to hear other people's experiences, see in real life people who are dating other people successfully. And, you know, we we don't receive any sort of feedback like this from the media Mm. or regular culture. We don't see people like what the script is in order to have a happy, healthy relationship. And the trick is that there are a few things you can do to help but nothing will ever guarantee that. And having people in front of you happily involved with more than one person <laughs> it is extremely validating Yeah, and really allows you to recognize that it is possible. And polyamory isn't for everybody just because, and not all people who have polyamorous relationships stay poly. Not everybody who is monogamous, stays monogamous. I've met a lot of people, like myself included. I was monogamous before I was actively doing this. Because that's what we're taught is our only option. Yeah. 
And part of what I want to achieve with this podcast is to allow people to recognize that it's possible to have these relationships in a way that is fulfilling and is healthy for everyone involved. Yeah. So one thing that I know comes up over and over again when I talk to people who are unfamiliar with poly is the question of jealousy. Yep. Number one. So (laughs) what is jealousy to you? Hmm. How do you cope with it? Jealousy to me is usually uh, kind of like the check engine light in your car. It is an indicator. It means that you're probably dealing with some insecurity in your relationship. And I try to use jealousy as a tool to strengthen my relationships because I go, okay, I'm feeling jealous. Let's break it down. Um, Whereas in other relationship structures, you might react to the feeling of jealousy by putting more restrictions on your partner's potentially. In polyamory, we tend to react to jealousy with a lot of introspection and a lot of communication with our partners. A lot of like, what, why am I feeling this way? You know, what is, what am I insecure about? What am I afraid of losing? I find that that's usually the issue. Um, Jealousy is usually, um, what if my partner's new partner is prettier than me? What if they're better in bed? What if they're smarter than me? What if they have more in common? These are all fears. And these fears can be tackled and these fears can be handled in a healthy way. Um, And it's not necessarily necessary to um, react to jealousy by putting more restrictions on your partners. You can let your partners be autonomous people and let them have their other relationships and and you yourself have other relationships and you can still deal with jealousy. Definitely. I find that there are lots of ways to be able to uh, communicate your feelings, to uh, ask for reassurance. Reassurance. Yes. And to be able to not always have to give in to your feelings, but also not always have to be completely alone in those feelings. And I, I think there's definitely a very big balancing act you have to do when you're polyamorous, especially in the beginning, of trying to manage your own feelings while also allowing for kind of what you were talking about of uh, the personal autonomy of your partners. And there, there are trade-offs you have to make of what times am I, is it reasonable for me to ask for more? What times... Is it reasonable for me to be expected to kind of deal with my own feelings myself? And I think those are questions that people have to decide on an individual level. And that answer tends to be different for every person. Mm-hmm. As for dealing with your feelings by yourself, I, f- I personally feel that that's part of where the poly community comes in. Yeah. Because you find other people that know exactly how you feel. And talking, you know, hashing it out with them, getting their their perspective on things, their their history of how they've dealt with jealousy can be hugely beneficial. And, you know, also friends and also therapy. <laughs> yes. And there, there are other tools. Uh, one of the things that I recommend the most when I'm talking to people is if your partner has a date the night of, do not plan on being home alone by yourself. I literally gave this advice yesterday. It, it yeah. is... It is a recipe for disaster. It, it really is. <laughs> it, it 
I call it the date night crazies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I Even as somebody who's been doing this for a decade, when my partner is seeing somebody new, I get this a little bit. Yeah. And it's important. There, there are ways to help manage it by not being by yourself alone, not doing anything, because your mind is your own worst enemy. Your mind is going to come up with likely things that are way more extreme or way more disturbing than the reality of the circumstances. Yeah. And that being said, whatever happens on those dates that your brain is focused on might not actually be the problem. They might not be an issue, but your brain is going to convince you, no matter what, yeah. that what you're feeling is completely and 100% logical, that everything that your brain is coming up with is exactly what your partner is doing right now mm-hmm. with that person that you always wish you did or that you feel insecure about. And it's just a playground for insecurities. Yeah. And making yourself busy, doing something. You don't have to be out with other people if that's not your thing. You can be home alone, practicing the drums, you know, follow your passion, try to set up time to allow yourself space to be able to be away. And that'd be difficult, especially if you have kids or other responsibilities that tie you near or to your house. Try to have somebody come visit you. Try to do something that your partner really doesn't like doing. Yeah. You know, know, take those kids and go see that movie series that your partner just despises. Mm -hmm. You know, do do whatever you feel like is helpful to you and things that you find really invigorating and distract you really well during that time. So that when you guys meet back up after the date, you know, if that's a thing that you do, that you can do so with a clearer head than you might otherwise. I definitely agree. Um, I recommend engaging the creative parts of your brain if possible. You know, that can be playing video games or playing an instrument like you mentioned or, you know, painting or doing some writing. Or I personally do like to distract myself with other people. Even though I'm an introvert, I find that if my partner is on a date, it's best for me to be around other people, my friends, you know, people who love me. You know, I go to my favorite bar. I hang out with my friends, you know, or other partners. Like I set up my own dates. Why you never invite me out? (laughs) (laughs) We should do that. We should. We should. And yeah, definitely um, be kind to yourself when your partner is on a date. That's my recommendation for sure. Yeah. It's it's something that's easy to say, but hard to do. Absolutely. (laughs) I recognize that. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in regards to jealousy or maybe envy that you feel like we haven't touched on yet? I feel that some of the date night crazies can be actually a fear of missing out. You've got that FOMO, you know, and that can be like, oh man, you know, my partner never takes me to movies or, and he's going to a movie with his new partner. And like, I feel envious because I want to go see movies with him. You I'm know, I take a page out of your book. In those circumstances, what you should probably do is bring it up to your partner. Like, hey, you took this person out to a movie and I really wish we did that more. Yeah, I agree. And that's a tool to strengthen your relationship and help fill that gap. I completely agree. Yeah. One thing that's important to a lot of polyamorous people is STI testing. A lot of people who are unfamiliar with poly ask me questions about my sexual life that I really <laughs> wish they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> because this is something that is so front of mind. I see this as very akin to when gay marriage was about to be legalized. There was a lot of discussion focused around the sex and sexuality of people yeah. who were homosexual when really 
these are people who are wanting to, just like us, we're people who are wanting to have relationships with other people. Some adult relationships include sex. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that that is what these, yeah, that's not, that doesn't mean that that's what the focus of these relationships are. Exactly. I feel like when you step outside of the kind of cisgender, heteronormative, monogamous um, paradigm, then you have a lot of people questioning about sex and and sexual safety. And yeah, STIs are definitely like the second thing I talk about to new poly people. Jealousy is probably the first one. And then STI testing. I personally go get tested every three to six months with my partners. We make a date of it. We go hang out together. Um, The clinic I go to doesn't allow cell phones in the lobby, so we have to entertain each other. (laughs) And, you know, we just make a day of it. And, um, you know, it takes a couple hours maybe. It depends where you go. But, uh, yeah, go get the full panel. Make sure you're on the same page with your um, talk about fluid bonding. Fluid bonding is when you have unprotected sex with your partners. Um, maybe you don't use condoms, don't use dental dams, whatever. You you feel comfortable enough that you are on the same page with your partners when it comes to your STI results and you are comfortable doing that with them. So everybody handles uh, STI testing and fluid bonding a little bit differently. People go get tested at different, across different spans of time or maybe a different number of times per year, or maybe it's only when they have a new partner or something like that. I just like to have recent results on me. You know, I usually save them in Google Docs so I can pull them up on my phone no matter where I am. So if I'm on a new date with someone, then I can just pull them, pull up my results and show them, show them right to them right then. And some people, uh, reserve fluid bonding for like only their nesting partners or like only their spouses or something. And that's fine. And some people are uh, handled a little little bit differently. So it's totally up to you what you're comfortable with. It's about your body, your safety, your health. You need to have those open conversations with your partners if you're going to be engaging in sexual activity. So yeah, STI testing, it's really not as big and scary as people think. It's not that hard once you get the ball rolling to like go get tested regularly and to have really open conversations about these things. I find that the poly community talks about STI testing pretty openly. I think that um, it's great to be sex positive and to educate yourself about your own health and safety. I definitely didn't know much about STIs when I was engaging in monogamous relationships or as a teenager. It wasn't until my 20s and I was engaging in polyamorous relationships that I did my research and learned a lot about how different STIs are contracted and you know what the actual risks are and, and how I can protect myself. So that's another benefit, I think, of the polyamorous community is that we can all help educate each other about these topics. Definitely. Uh, Some of the things I wanted to kind of break down of what you had said. First, maybe give a definition for nesting partners who may not uh, be familiar. A nesting partner is a partner that you live with. Yeah. Uh, You also mentioned full panel. Uh, One thing that I would say, full panel is a word usually used by lay people to mean all the tests that you will give me. Mm-hmm. And something to be cognizant of, not everywhere tests for the same things. So have them written down, have them like specifically go over with whoever the healthcare provider is that you're going to be seeing. These are the specific STIs I would like to be tested for. Yes. Another STI that has an interesting reputation is herpes. Um, yes. There are to at least two types of herpes. Uh, Chickenpox is also a type of herpes, but but the main ones that people are concerned with are are one and two. Yeah, HSV one, HSV two. Exactly, and a lot of 
clinics don't test for it at all because uh, such a large portion of the population already has it, and most people have no idea. Yeah. Um, most STIs that you get, you will not have symptoms. So you certainly cannot go by uh, symptoms because, you know, you can have no redness, no rash, no burning when you pee, none of that, and you can still have an STI. So yeah. regular testing is very important to me and to many people that I know. The stigma around certain STIs is a whole other topic. I feel like we could probably do a whole podcast Definitely. just on STIs. Educate yourself, get tested regularly. I feel like those are pretty fair pieces of advice. Yeah. And just be open and honest about what you're willing to do. And no sex is 100% risk-free. Mm -hmm. And so it's about managing what sex you want to have. I know you had mentioned kind of briefly, uh, you know, types of protection. Mm -hmm. But recognize and specify with your partners what types of sex do you consider uh, worthwhile of your testing protocols if there's different delineations for different parts of your testing protocols. Um, you know, I, I know it's very common for people to have different rules around oral sex versus, you know, vaginal or anal intercourse. Mm -hmm. And so those are things to make sure that everybody's on the same page about exactly. at the very least. Yes. So let's try to wrap this up just talking about, you know, maybe the things that you enjoyed most about poly and the things that have been most difficult for you or the things that you find have been the least beneficial parts of your life to being poly. Okay. Things I've enjoyed most about polyamory probably are the freedom to explore relationships with pretty much anyone. You know, of course, we talked earlier about like time and energy and like being polysaturated, but barring that... I love that if I feel a spark with someone, if I feel a connection with someone, I can explore that. Yeah. I don't have to feel guilty about it. You know, I can talk to my partners. I can say, hey, I met someone new. I want to tell you about them. I want to meet them or whatever. You know, like this is why I think they're cool. This is what we have in common. And that applies to all kinds of relationships, you know, friendships, platonic relationships, but, you know, in polyamory, more specifically romantic relationships. So I have definitely loved the kind of freedom of being able to be true to myself and be yeah. my full self, like the full spectrum of my myself. And especially because we're kind of different people to everybody. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every every relationship is completely unique. Um, every relationship is different. My relationship with my girlfriend is totally different than my spouse. And I think that um that's just one of the beauties of Polly is getting to kind of chase those rainbows and like find out what what kind of color and what kind of aura and what kind of glimmer your new relationship is going to have. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. And of course it comes with heartbreak, just like any relationships, you know, yeah. I'm going through a breakup right now of a long, long-term relationship that is ending. And that's really hard, but I'm also having newer relationships at the same time. And so that's a unique thing to polyamory, I think, is dealing with the potential for dealing with breakups and happy or new relationships at the same time. And I'm really grateful for my partners for being a support system for me. I'm really grateful to my friends and the poly community for being understanding and like they get what I'm going through. Yeah. So I think the most difficult parts about poly have been 
the lack of representation in our culture and my family doesn't understand it all, you know? So that can be really hard. Like my parents are very conservative and they think that my soul is in danger. And so it's hard because the fact that I have multiple loving relationships is like a hard limit for them. Yeah. And that puts us on, you know, kind of different ends of a very wide spectrum. That's been the hardest part, I think. So for me, the best part is, is a little similar to yours, is the the freedom to be able to date people, but also the support I've received, being able to have multiple partners who can be there for me when I am not well or I'm having a hard time. And I am someone who really enjoys being responsible and helping my partners when they're not doing well. And so being able to be that piece to the puzzle of their life of somebody willing to come over when they're sick and bring them chicken soup. And, you know, all all of those things have been very, very beneficial things to me that I found really, really rewarding. As far as difficulties, it's very frustrating that I have to spend a a very small part of my life being closeted, Mm. Uh, you know, in the beginning of jobs, when I first meet people, I'm usually trying to feel them out, but I have been very, very privileged in the fact that I can be extreme. I've been able to be very open about being polyamorous to my friends, family, and most of the time, my colleagues. And that, that's that been just really, really great. Um, any parting words that you want to you know, end on for the, the first episode? Yeah, I just want to say that for anyone out there who is considering a polyamorous relationship or is just curious about them, I just want to reiterate that polyamorous relationships are totally possible. It's not an impossible dream. It's not sci-fi. It's real. And we do it every day. If you want it, you can have it. You may not necessarily be able to have it with your monogamous partners or partner genuinely want to pursue polyamorous relationships. It is possible. And I think that it can seem like this far off fantasy for a lot of monogamous people or a lot of people who are just in the first early steps of thinking about polyamory. You know, maybe they don't know a lot of poly people or they're not aware of a local poly community. There's no poly representation in the media. It can feel very isolating. And I think that's true of a lot of communities that are not represented in the mainstream. And yeah, I just want to say that poly is possible. Excellent. And I wanted to end on a reminder to people that it's only ethical non-monogamy and polyamory with the full knowledge and consent of everyone involved. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're cheating. Yep. Cheating is bad. All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> to submit your questions or to recommend topics, please reach out to our contact info in the show notes.